Get back in control with Off the Wagon, adventures in emotional eating, health, and weight loss. Each episode containing fork-sized mindset tweaks, perspective shifts, and lifestyle hacks to get you back on the wagon. Whether it's habit change, emotional eating, addictions, weight loss, willpower, or relationships, there's something here for you. So let's get on the wagon and get down the road to your goals with me, Christy R. Hall. Welcome to episode 32, where today we're talking about how to tell the difference between physical and emotional hunger, how to use the hunger and fullness scale, and what to do when that scale doesn't work. Hunger is, you might say, akin to being in a relationship. If you're not sure you're in one, you're most likely not. So, so if you aren't sure if you're hungry, you probably aren't. For many of us, from the moment we cried as babies or through a tantrum as toddlers, our moms have always tried to satisfy or placate us by feeding us or giving us treats. And from that moment forward, the connection and the lines between eating to satisfied hunger and eating for other reasons became a blurred one. And this was our first introduction to using food as a reward or as a way to get what we want or to make us feel better. As we grew older and our emotional burdens got heavier from being teased and bullied at school to having acne breakouts to not having the best fashion sense or not being able to afford fashion at all to that first rejection. One thing that always seemed to make it feel better was food. Food was always there and it would never judge us. This is why most diets and ways of eating fail us. They provide food rules and guidelines, but no emotional rules and guidelines. Although if they did, they would probably be something along the lines of avoid stress and avoid sadness and depression and rejection and all of the painful things in life. As a matter of fact, I think I'd rather go on that diet and just leave my food alone, wouldn't you? But we can't really control the moments of life, so we try to control the food instead. The problem, though, is that diets disconnect us from our bodies. We learn to override our biological impulses for hunger, opting to eat at times or in the quantities suggested by books and gurus. We ignore our fullness cues choosing only to eat the amounts we're allowed and sometimes less. In fact, we use strength of will, also known as willpower, to override our body's natural instincts. As dieting pros, we have tons of willpower, really. You've been practicing it for years. The problem is that it's a simple enough, although sometimes difficult thing, to override your biology. After all, you've been training yourself to do that all your life. Need to go to the bathroom? Hold it. Feeling fidgety or bored? Sit still. Got a headache? I'll take an aspirin in a minute. Emotions are a harder thing to control, harder to ignore. In fact, I want to point out something specific here about your emotions. Most people think that emotional eaters are ignoring their emotions. By definition, to ignore is to take no notice of, to reject or deny something. 
If you did not notice that you were having negative emotions, then there would be no need to eat in response to them. Again, if you denied their existence, there would be no need to do something as an alternative to feeling them. The truth is that emotional eaters are acutely aware of their emotions. They know they are having them, even if they can't put a specific label to exactly what they are feeling or why they are feeling it. They are feeling something. And in the case of negative emotions, they don't like it. But at the same time, they don't know what else to do with those emotions, how to allow them to pass, or what to do to process them and help them move on. My point here is that if you're an emotional eater, chances are, contrary to what Google and HuffPost tells you, you are not ignoring your feelings and emotions. You're just not handling them in an effective way. So the lines of physical and emotional hunger have become blurred because we ignore our bodies through the use of other people's guidelines, rules, and restrictions, while at the same time using food as a physical band-aid for emotional pain. So when emotional eaters try to give up dieting or embrace intuitive or normal eating, one of the first things they're introduced to is the hunger and fullness scale. And you may have heard me talk about this on a previous podcast. What the hunger and fullness scale is, is a chart where you relate your level of hunger or fullness by the symptoms or sensations you feel in your body. It typically goes on a scale from one to 10, where one means you're so hungry you think you may pass out, and 10 means you are so full you think you may be sick. The general instructions that would be intuitive and normal eaters are given are to eat when your level of hunger is between a three and a four, so that you have better control of what you eat, and to stop eating when you're at a six or seven. One important thing to note is that your brain registers signals of being full quite slowly. Learning to eat until you're comfortably full without going overboard will, maybe, (laughs) take some practice. Intuitive eating coaches and gurus will tell you to eat a portion of your meal and then wait 20 minutes before going back for seconds because that's about how long it takes for the stomach to signal that it's full. But there are a couple of problems inherent with this wisdom. Number one, you don't always have 20 minutes to wait and see if you're still hungry. Number two, you may not always be in a situation where you can eat when you actually hit a three or a four. Number three, there are occasions when eating to an eight might be a better choice, especially if you know you're not going to be able to eat again for a while, which might cause you to dip below a three later. And perhaps most important is number four. You may not be in touch with your body enough to know when you're at a three or a four or when you've eaten beyond a six or a seven. These problems are compounded by the fact that it's not always easy to know the difference between emotional and physical hunger. For example, when you have a craving for something rich and decadent, it could be your body's very polite way of signaling you that it's time to eat by throwing you images of that quick energy cake because craving carbs is often a sign of being pretty hungry. But it could also be a sign that you're looking for a distraction from an emotional situation like that snarky remark a coworker made or having to give a report at work or spilling your morning coffee and having a bad day. 
The question is, how can you tell the difference between the two, considering that these two scenarios present themselves in exactly the same way? And depending on how your body responds to stress, anxiety, or excitement, you may actually feel sensations in your stomach area either way. Here are some questions to ask yourself that may help you identify whether or not you're physically or emotionally hungry. Question number one, am I looking to escape or get away? If you're looking for something to eat as a way to get away from how you feel or to distract yourself from a stressful situation, then it's likely your drive to eat is emotional. Question number two, am I having a heightened emotional response right now? From a biological perspective, we digest and assimilate our food better when we're in a calm and relaxed state. I always suggest to clients that if they're feeling particularly stressed or upset, it's best to wait and attend to their emotions first. By eating in a heightened emotional state, you're setting yourself up to disconnect from your body and the sensations you feel there. These sensations will include hunger and fullness, and this may lead you to eat more than your body requires. Question number three, am I looking for a healthy and nutritious option or something full of sugar and fat? A couple of years ago, there was a series of articles that suggested the way to tell whether or not you were physically or emotionally hungry is whether or not you would eat an apple. For some people, this was a useful tool, but if fruit has long been something that you have restricted, you just might eat apples emotionally. The same might be said for broccoli. Generally, though, when you are physically hungry, even a bowl of steamed veggies will sound good. But if you're emotionally hungry, you're most likely going to notice that your hunger and cravings is for something specific, a particular food like German chocolate cake or French bread with butter, or a defined taste like something sour, sweet, salty, or savory. An exercise that you can try to help you identify whether it could be emotional or physical hunger is to stop for a moment and take a breath. Then allow your hand to go to the body, the part of the body that wants care or attention or is crying out. If it goes to your stomach, then it may be a sign that you're physically hungry. But if it goes to your head or to your heart, then you're probably bored or have something else on your mind that's not physical hunger. Realize, of course, that this exercise isn't foolproof because, of course, where we each experience things in our bodies is different. You may carry stress in your shoulders while your friend carries stress in her back. I get feelings of anxiety in my stomach, the same area I feel hunger, and for the longest time, I interpreted stress and anxious feelings as a need for food. It's important for me to point out here that just like stress, not everyone feels hunger in exactly the same way. And in even the same person, how you feel hunger at one time of the day or month, because hunger is also affected by hormones, may be different than how you feel it at another time. In fact, how you eat and the foods you choose on a day-to-day -day basis may change how your body responds to a lack of food. For example, people who have followed low-carb or ketogenic lifestyles where they're used to running on ketones may not ever get to a place where they feel like they're into that level one, painfully hungry, feeling faint and have the shakes. 
Likewise, people who are currently taking insulin may find that they feel woozy or shaky at a three or even a two. So you must pay attention to your body and make modifications so that the hunger and fullness scale can work for you. Now, if you're struggling to rate hunger and fullness on a scale of one to 10, there are a couple of other things that you can try. You can imagine that your stomach is like an inflated balloon. When the balloon is completely deflated, that would be probably a one or a two. When it's got some air in it, but the sides are still squishy and soft, that may be a five or a six. And when it's stretched so tight, it's about to burst, that's probably a nine or a 10. Another way that you can get used to this scale of one to 10 is to practice it with other bodily sensations. So let's say you're doing your workout. You might rate how out of breath you are. One would be calm resting breath, right? Six might be a brisk walk or a jog. 10 might be gasping until you, you're unable to do anything else but breathe. Um, another option might be, how bad do you need to go to the bathroom? One would be, I just went, right? So no feelings of having to go at all. Six might be, eh, I could think about getting to the bathroom soon. 10 would be, hand me the big gulp cup. I gotta go now. And you can use that with anything, any of your bodily sensations, like how badly do I itch right now? How badly do I want to shower right now? And that will help you acclimate yourself to using a scale like this. So what happens if you don't feel hunger in your stomach? Believe it or not, this is actually pretty common. Most people think of hunger as an emptiness or a gnawing in their stomach, but hunger can show up in lots of different ways. For example, while I notice hunger as a sensation in my stomach in maybe late morning or early afternoon, or even in the evening, in the morning, like when I first get up, I never notice physical sensation of hunger. But if I put off eating for too long in the morning, I do notice that I start to feel anxious without having had a stressful event that would normally cause stress or anxiety. Learning this about myself was a huge thing for me. Other signs of hunger that you might notice, you might start to experience specific cravings or feel low energy or fatigue, right? You might notice moodiness, um, poor attention, headaches, stomach upset, dizziness, shakiness. You may notice that your hands and feet are colder than the room that you're in. If you notice one of these physical signs pop up three to six hours after you last ate something substantial, it's a good chance it's probably hunger. But basically what this means is you need to pay attention to how your body works and what it's trying to tell you. These same principles apply when you are eating and trying to determine your fullness levels. Again, because dieting teaches us to only eat what we're allowed, it's possible that you haven't really felt fullness in a really long time, or that the only time you feel full is when you lose control and eat more than you should. One of the things that intuitive and normal eaters fear is that they will eat and eat and eat and never stop. And sometimes it feels that way as you adjust from portion size limitations to eating what your body needs. This is another area where the hunger and fullness scale might fail you. 
if you're like me, and I honestly hope you're not, there's sort of a blank space in the scale for me. What I mean is that I know when I'm starving. I know when I'm more hungry than is comfortable. I also know when I'm full enough to be uncomfortable and beyond. So for me, I understand levels one, two, and maybe three, and then maybe eight, but definitely nine and 10. Everything between three and a seven is a blank. I can't really tell the difference by how my stomach feels. This is particularly problematic from an intuitive and normal eating perspective as this is the range that it's suggested that we stay in. It's interesting to me that you can go to Google and read tons of articles on how we misinterpret our hunger cues. You've probably read the conventional wisdom of mistaking hunger for thirst and to drink water before you eat something, just to be sure. But there are very few articles on how we might mistake fullness. But it stands to reason that if we can mistake and misunderstand one, that we might mistake and misunderstand the other, right? So again, this is where you have to pay more attention to your body and its signals because it may not be giving them to you in the exact way they say in all the books. Your stomach may not feel full, especially if you're used to eating past that point. Going beyond to where you can actually feel fullness and pressure. So here are some other signs to look for to determine that your body may be telling you that it's full or ready for you to stop eating. It may be giving you these signals before you get to fullness. They're often very subtle, so you might be missing them. But when you do finally notice them, you may be surprised that you didn't notice them sooner. When your hunger is satisfied, you might get a feeling or a sense of contentment or peace or calm, less anxious, as well as a loss in the interest in eating. The taste of the food may change and it may not taste quite as good as it did before. Although this may only happen if you were truly hungry when you started eating. You may notice a tendency to take a big breath or even a sigh when you get to the point of being satisfied without being full or stuffed. Keep in mind that if you are still limiting portions and sizes based on what you can or are allowed to eat, that you may not have enough food on your plate for your body to register these responses. The real question here is, are you just eating for the moment or are you trying to create a lifelong healthy relationship with your food and your body? One of the primary characteristics of emotional eating is being overwhelmed by feelings of guilt after eating. Many times you might find yourself saying, just one more cookie and then I'm done. But most of the time, and specifically when eating emotionally, one is rarely one. It often becomes two, three, four, until the entire box is gone. And when this happens, feelings of guilt and shame take over as you start blaming yourself for being such a weak person that you can't even control the number of cookies you eat. This is because in the moment, we just want something that will make us feel good or better in the now. We conveniently forget about how we'll feel 30 minutes from now or even tomorrow when our fingers feel puffy 
or our joints are inflamed or our head is foggy. We ignore the truth that the extra salt or the carb fest has real physical consequences in an attempt to feel something other than what we're actually feeling for just a few moments. Emotional eating mastery isn't about the complete and total elimination of emotional eating. I'm not even sure that's possible or that it should be the goal. Instead, our goal is to learn to listen to our bodies so that emotional eating is not our go-to mechanism. So that the majority of the time, we are eating out of a desire to satisfy physical, biological hunger. So that emotional eating is no longer a problem for us that keeps us from our health and wellness goals. I hope this has been helpful for you today. And before I forget, be sure to check out the resource section with this podcast and check out the several versions of the hunger and fullness scale that I've provided for you. I haven't always felt that the generally accepted hunger and fullness scale is that intuitive. And so I've provided a couple of different versions of it and hopefully one of those will make more sense to you or will work with you and your body's signals and sensations. If you'd like to talk to me about your relationship with your body, your food, or the hunger and fullness scale, I would love to talk to you. You can reach me on Facebook at fb.me forward slash coach Christy R. Hall or at my website www.christyrhall.com. Thanks so much for listening in today and I'll talk to you soon.